My mother explained, as best she could, that my father was a pragmatic man. He was scientific and did not like anything paranormal or supernatural. How that worked with his belief in God, she could never explain. But it seemed that he kept these ideas in two different boxes or on either side of a steel wall. Science and God were not on speaking terms in my father's head, or at least they were entirely unaware of each other. My mother told me in later life that her experience of her brother's death had not been a dream. It had occurred when she fell unconscious during the day. She told me that she had had bruises in each place he had been wounded. She said that she had been reticent with her account in, a, in view of my father's position on paranormal phenomena. My mother told me that she had tried to tell him that it was nice for me to have an imaginal world, but that he thought other boys would laugh at me if they heard me speaking of fairies in my room. They'd think I was abnormal. My mother sighed and concluded that my father might be right about how other people would view me. She said that people were not always kind when others had unusual dreams and ideas. So that was the way life worked. One had to look normal. One had to speak normally about normal things. One had to think only what was normal. That was the rule. But if you broke the rule, well, what happened? I asked my mother what happened if you broke that rule. She told me that you could give yourself a difficult life. I asked her if that was bad. She replied that it wasn't bad, just lonely. She told me that artists and musicians were not exactly normal, but they had friends, so maybe it wasn't completely lonely. That was the thing then. I was to be an artist. I was to paint. I was to write poetry and perhaps compose music. Then I would be friends with all the other people who didn't want to have to appear to be acceptably normal. Maybe there would be other people who saw white ladies in their rooms at night. Or maybe marvellous animals in many colours. But I didn't ask about that. I had some sort of an answer and that had to suffice for the moment. My father's verdict was that I was far too dreamy, too prone to fantasy. I had an unhealthily overactive imagination with ideas so ridiculous that he had to question my sanity. To a certain extent, he did have cause to be concerned because I didn't always hear people when they spoke to me. I was often lost in reverie or sat staring into space for inordinate periods of time. The white lady just sat and stared into me or through me or into space. So it seemed to me like a thing I could do. I liked to sit and forget about the effort 
of making the world understandable. There were so many things about the way the world worked and the way people worked that were so complicated that I thought adults must be extremely clever to understand it all. However, having come to that conclusion, I wondered why, if they were so very clever, did they have terrible wars where hundreds of thousands of people had to die? That seemed terminally stupid, because the world went on after these wars as if the wars hadn't happened. Britain was at war with France, and then Britain was on their side against Germany. Then I learned that almost every country in Europe had been both the ally and the enemy of every other European country. Was that clever? I thought not. In fact, it seemed far less sane than I might be. Something was definitely wrong with something, and I had no idea how to untangle the problem. I asked the white lady this question, but as usual, there was no answer in words, just the understanding that cleverness was not the answer. It seemed that you could be as clever as you liked, but it wouldn't make you happy or stop wars. It seemed also that the adult world was not that different from the child's world. Children played their games and adults just played a different kind of game. Children got angry with each other in the games and so did adults. The main difference seemed to be that the adults were in charge and so they were allowed to say that their game wasn't a game. This was a disturbing idea, and one that I didn't even think it was good to tell my mother. I asked the white lady many questions, and the answers, which were just gaps in time, made me feel that I needed to wait until I was old enough to play better games than adults played. It also occurred to me that it was better not to confuse games with whatever the real world might be and not to tell lies about it. Games were not reality, however much fun such games might be. It seemed to me that adults needed to learn how to be adults. Or maybe that kind of adult happened when adults were very old. My German grandmother seemed completely sane. She was extremely kind and disapproved of many of the bad things in the world. She was strongly against any kind of racism, class elitism or religious sectarian bigotry. She had to escape to Denmark in World War II because she had helped Jewish families. Her whole family had been against Hitler and suffered for it. It was good to know that there were people like my grandmother and that gave me some sense of hope. I had been thinking a great deal about light and how 
light existed in the dark. It seemed to me that there was normal light that came in the day and electric light that enabled you to see at night. But then there was darkness. It seemed that there were different kinds of darkness. There was one kind of darkness where you could see nothing at all and another where there seemed to be light inside the darkness. This light inside the darkness was a special kind of light that was not always easy to find. But when I found it, I was able to see my bedroom quite clearly without the electric light. It wasn't the light of the moon and there were no street lamps because our house backed onto the woods. I never really knew what I did to be able to see the light inside the dark, but sometimes it would happen. When it happened, I usually saw the white lady. She was always full of light, but it was a different kind of light from the light inside the dark. If I was to put a name to it, her light was always multicoloured. But the multicoloredness of the light was not understandable in terms of colours that I could identify. I couldn't say I saw blue, green, red and yellow because the colours were all something else. Colours I had never seen before. Every time I tried to understand a colour, it would become white before I had worked out whether it was blue or green. So after a while, I stopped trying to fix the colours. I tried explaining this problem to my mother. She said that people had all kinds of ideas in dreams and that it wasn't possible to understand them when you were awake. Some things made sense in dreams that made no sense at all when you were awake. Eventually, I stopped talking about the white lady even to my mother, because I could see that even though she would listen, it seemed to trouble her. My mother was obviously worried about annoying my father. He was easily annoyed, so I could understand her fears. I wondered whether I should try to stop seeing the white lady, because my mind would become sick. My father had said my mind would become sick if this sort of thing continued. That seemed terrible, because if your mind got sick, they'd lock you up somewhere and never let you out again. That was something I'd avoid at all cost. It was bad enough having to act in the right way all the time in order not to anger my father. But what would it be like if he sent me to a mental hospital? I'd be made to wear a straitjacket and wouldn't be able to move my arms and I'd have to sit all day long in a padded cell. Then they'd strap me into a chair and give me electric shocks to make me normal. That's what could happen. Well, that's what I overheard him telling my mother. My mother said little in response and so I believed that it must be true. Of course, my mother had no idea I was listening. 
Otherwise, she would have countered the idea, even at the expense of angering my father. He did not like being countered by my mother or by anyone. Major Ernest Mathers Simerson was the sole arbiter of reality, and that's how it was. I was in danger of being sent to a mental hospital if I said anything about the white lady or if anybody knew that I saw her. The worst thing I did, according to my father, was that I believed in what was conveyed to me by the white lady, because people who heard voices were insane. The thing was, however, that I didn't hear her voice. I simply knew and believed what she divulged. There was some kind of communion that occurred, but I could not explain to my mother how it happened. There was some sort of subject matter, but it always vanished as soon as I entered into the flow of everyday life. It seemed to concern what I was, what everyone was, and what life was. There was, however, no information. So there was nothing to remember. There was simply the sensation that there was nothing else to know. The central idea or sensated impression was of goodness and kindness. Everyone was good and kind. This goodness was somewhere, not exactly inside, some place that couldn't easily be found as long as people were obsessed with being normal. One day I saw an avalanche. I don't know where in the world it was, but it was there in front of me on the television. It was family viewing time and we all sat and watched. My father, mother and brother Graham each found it interesting in their own ways, but I was unusually affected by it. I said nothing because there was a relatively good family atmosphere at the time and I had no desire to upset the situation. I just sat there, vaguely horrified and pulling back into my chair as if to avoid the avalanche. The room was a reasonable temperature, but I felt bitterly cold. It did not last long, but I remember sitting on my hands to keep them warm. The avalanche was filmed from a distance, and it was not a situation in which lives were lost, but the sense of death stole over me. I had the ridiculous notion that I had experienced an avalanche and that I had died that made no sense to me. I'd never lived anywhere near mountains and I was still alive. I lay in bed wondering how I could feel as if I died when I was still alive. When I remembered my grandmother saying that some relatives thought I was the reincarnation of my German grandfather. My grandmother didn't set much store by that idea, 
but it caused me to ask about what reincarnation meant. My mother told me that it wasn't really a Christian idea, but that reincarnation meant that you had lived before in another life. I asked my mother whether she believed in reincarnation or not. She pondered for a moment and told me that she could say neither yes nor no. It was possible. She could not say it was not possible. Sometimes she thought that I was very much like her brother Bernd, who died on the Russian front in World War II. She had some of his clothes that she thought would fit me when I grew older. She could not say more than that, or if she did, I can no longer remember what it might have been. Lying in bed after seeing that avalanche on television was strange. And stranger still, when it occurred to me that I might have died in an avalanche in my past life. I didn't particularly care that it wasn't Christian to believe in past lives or future lives, because Christians didn't own everything in the world. There were many people in the world, and they all had their own ideas. Even the Christians didn't all agree with each other. There were Roman Catholics and Protestants, and they even had wars. So who were they to lay down the law? My mother was open to the idea of reincarnation, so as far as I was concerned, it was possible. I often lay in bed at night after that, trying to remember, whilst being afraid of remembering. I wanted to know what happened before the avalanche. After some days or weeks of such pondering, it suddenly dawned on me that I actually believed the avalanche had really happened and that I died in it. The idea had moved from might have been to it was, without my cognising the moment when certainty took hold. The will to know, however, took me no further. And tomorrow evening, we'll start reading chapter two, The Thought Police, The Woodland Nymph and The Secret Atheist.